0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jacob Gaffney. I am the Editor-in-Chief of Housing Wire, and you are listening to my podcast series, Six Questions for HUD Executives, and I am particularly excited about our guest this morning. We have Ana Maria Farias. She is a very, very important part of HUD, although uh, some would argue the most important part, and we'll get into that. Uh, But she is one of the lesser known executives, so it's not uh, likely you'll hear much from her anywhere else. So we're very excited to have this exclusive opportunity to speak to Anna Maria. Anna Maria, how are you this morning?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you very much.
0: Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do over at HUD before we go into the six questions?
1: Uh, At HUD, I'm the Assistant Secretary of Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity, and it is my job as the national enforcer of fair housing laws. My job is the only one other than the Inspector General that actually comes with a gold shield. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If any investigators or I ever show up at someone's door, they will see a gold shield around our neck.
0: Wow. Well, so actually you are one of the top cops at HUD. And uh, yeah, and I think that that is—I uh, mean, for someone like me who is uh, is very much an advocate for fair for fair housing and equal opportunity, I um, I'm so pleased that there is someone like you in your position going out there with that shield and uh, and uh, making sure that everyone is getting a fair shake at housing in this great nation of ours. Um, but I, I can imagine you didn't just uh, step into the role of uh, of a main enforcement agent at our nation's great housing department, you would have had a trajectory there. So can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to work at HUD in the first place? What brought you into this position?
1: Absolutely, um, I am a lawyer by profession, which I realize that most people, the minute they say lawyer, you they go, oh no. But <laughs> I never forgot that I grew up in the Crystal City Housing Project. So I'm one of those uh, children uh, that was helped even before the laws were passed on fair housing. So my mom was a cleaning lady making between $12, $20 per week, working six and a half days a week and working a lot of afternoons and Sundays to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a child of a single parent and I made it. I, uh, my mom said, go to school. Otherwise you're going to be doing the same thing I'm doing. So Uh, I was very blessed, and I was the high school valedictorian, which gave me the ticket out of the housing projects. But I never forgot where I came from, and my mom stayed in the same small town, and one day in 1991, she called crying because the thugs and the drug dealers had taken over the entire small town of of about Mm 10,000. So To make mm -hmm. a long story short, I did the one thing I said I would never do, which was to go back home to a small town. And I did. And I went and ran the Housing Authority where I grew up. But I also became the, one of the first executive directors in the country that agreed to live in the housing projects uh, while I was there. And my job was to clear it off the uh, drug lords, mm-hmm. child pornographers, and child prostitution. Wow. And I did. And I, and I did, and I was successful because the people that were there, especially the grandparents, knew that I had gone back because my mom was in that small town and she chose not to go to the big city. She wanted to stay in the small town. Like the question that she posed to me as I was showing her San Antonio, Texas was, why do I have to leave when I'm not the criminal? Mm -hmm. And that when her daughter decided, well, I have to now go back home because I know the people, I have the contacts and I have never forgotten that it was the housing developments that helped and give my mom and I a refuge when we needed it. And so I want about a dozen uh, naval awards, uh, especially for Section 3, which was putting tenants, a lot of the tenants, to work. So that's why when they offered me HUD, I said, well, it's not time for me to pay back what housing and urban development through public housing did for myself and my mom many years ago. So it's just a way of paying back.
0: So paying back it's interesting that you would put it as as paying it back. That's a very interesting perspective because you are enforcing the same amount of the the same the same types of traumatic acts that you would have witnessed in your childhood when you talk about the drug dealers and that sort of thing. So oh, that not, is correct. Of, of all the things you could have done at HUD, you could have, you know, you could have done something that didn't involve you getting back in the ground and facing those same types of uh of of, of of bad elements that unfortunately exist. So there has to be something that keeps you rooted. You know, there has to oh, be Oh,
1: absolutely. You well, you know, before I came here, this is my second go-round. I have been very privileged mm-hmm. to work for four presidents. And Secretary Carson, my great privilege to say that he's the sixth cabinet secretary that i work worked for. And my first go-round, I was senior counsel to Secretary Martinez. Uh, And then I went and did the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Special Initiatives, which was, once again, one of the projects that I wanted to work with, which was the colonias, third world conditions in the United States of America. And then I was, I think the only plum job that I've ever had in my life was being Deputy Assistant Secretary of Grants, where you pass out all the money, all the millions and millions of money. And then I was director of Faith-Based. And of course, I love that one because whenever there are natural disasters, it's the faith-based community that doesn't wait for anyone, local, state, or federal government to tell them go and do something. They just do it on their own. And when you saw Harvey and Katrina, that's who was out there first before anyone else. So when I came back, I had already retired. And as a retiree, I did whatever... executive retiree wants to do, which is serving a couple of boards. And I thought I had my golden nugget when they make me chairman of the Board of Regents of Texas Women's University. I made history because I was the first Hispanic in their 113 years of history. Uh, And I I was not a millionaire or, or a billionaire, and usually that's who gets appointed to be regent. But when I was offered this job a second time, I thought there are things that have not been finished, and one of the things that I saw, having been retired and traveling all over Texas by car, so that's when you get to see everything, mm-hmm. is is the 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 way the elderly are treated, mm, yeah, or mistreated, and that gets into the issue of the the sexual harassment and and uh, and of of elderly, and that's why HUD has a partnership now with the Department of Justice that is uh, working extremely well. And that is sometimes elderly are alone, not because they have been left alone, but my mom is 90, she's about to be 91. They are not ready to go into a nursing home. They want to age in place with dignity. Yes. And so sometimes the people that have oversight of them They figured, well, they're here by themselves. Sometimes it's a couple. Sometimes it's just one person. And what we saw and what we've heard in reading cases is sometimes the way some elderly are actually being sexually harassed and mistreated by people that should be taking care of them because they figured they don't want to go to a nursing home. And if they start complaining to their son's daughters or grandkids, they're going to say, well, mom. Grandpa, grandma, you come and live with us. And their attitude is, no, I still want to age in place. So we've had quite a few complaints, and I'm very proud to say that we have acted literally within 30 to 60 days, sometimes sooner. Mm-hmm. So that, And then sometimes these cases have definitely been turned over to the Department of Justice for felon counts. And when I met with the secretary about this issue, he said, oh, whenever you see that maltreatment or distreatment of the elderly, you throw the book at them. The issue of the sexual harassment, uh, I share with the secretary an experience that I had, or rather that my mom had, when we were growing in the in public housing. And it was the director of maintenance that went over during the daytime, but I was in the hallway so I could hear it, when he was trying to put the moves on my mom, and she said no. And then said, well, if not you, how about your daughter? And then the thing I heard was this huge smack, and that was my mom slapping him. Yes. And as a young kid, I I used to always play baseball, so there were baseball bats around the house. And my mom said, if you ever come back into this house again, I will have a baseball bat, I will crack your head, and then I will plush both of your knees. And of course, he knew she meant it, so he never came back. And when I was sharing that um, experience with the secretary, he said, you know, because I said, we're just getting some of these cases where I have to read about an eight or nine year old telling the story about how a maintenance man has come into the mom's house at two in the morning because they, they have the master keys to come into. You know, fair housing is about opening doors, but once you're in there, it does not mean that an executive director of public housing or section eight landlord or a maintenance director with a uh, uh, a key master key can come into your home to arrest you. Because if you don't say yes, or if you say no, they threaten to evict them. And then when they have to be the reference, they will say, Oh, this person was terrible. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, we have those cases or so I'm just letting you know that I'm going to be making some very strong, uh, press statements when we released the uh, the cases and he said you know my mom went through the same thing so wherever you see this you just throw the book at them and that's exactly what we have been doing
0: and we've seen so it this put
1: me in, in a place where an 11 year old I said one of these days if I'm ever in a position to take care of things like this I will and all of a sudden fair Housing. when I was reading those cases I just told myself,
0: that day is now. And uh, you know, we've seen a, we've seen repeated instances where you have enforced this, and looking deeper, and looking deeper into it, you know, the fact that a, that a single woman who is who is an honest, hardworking American raising her child appropriately, that she has to be the one to defend herself, that she has to be the one who has to pick up a baseball bat. It's just right. unbelievably just. Uh, unfair. <laughs> to, well, you to, know, and, to put it mildly. You know that
1: was literally f- almost fifty years ago. But it still and happening. The cases. Oh no, no, no. We have. Yeah, I mean,
0: I see your enforcement actions. It's it is something that right. is is a regular occurrence, and people are and leveraging. What I told the
1: secretary was yeah. the people the you know some of these executive director, maintenance directors, or or managers of Section Eight. Uh, I says what they do, they zero in on mm-hmm. that hard-working, honest mom that has two jobs because they know she definitely does not want to lose this home because if I throw her out and she has to go and get another place and needs a reference and I don't give her a good reference, then just, what does she do? Right. So now they know what they can do. They can call us. And and, and by the way, in some cases where it has actually been a felony and the Department of take, uh, Justice takes over it, you, you've read this. We published the names. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then in, in a lot of the uh, uh, agreements, what we also say, it's not enough if it was just, I mean, if it's a rape, that's a felony. I go, and, and what happens with the executive directors and Section 8 managers, when we reach an agreement with them, it also means that they cannot hire that person anywhere else where they manage homes. In other words, you're not going to be skipping from one Section 8 maintenance to public housing, from one public housing to the next so that you can go into the same thing.
0: That's excellent. That's excellent. And um, uh, hopefully in time these stories and the message will get across. I want to kind of redirect a little bit, but before we do, I want to talk about how about when you're out there, you're you're dealing with with a criminal element from you know hardcore felonies to describe but that but that behavior goes down the line to just like well if you're not going to sleep with me I'm just not going to fix your toilet and you know that's that is a, correct. that's a that nuisance as well so the very levels of harassment and I want to uh, I want to make that totally clear to, to everyone listening that, uh, that harassment comes in many forms and the reason why I do that is there seems to be a bit of a confusion into, into messaging about when someone is actively targeting someone who they think is more vulnerable um, and I just don't think that people understand the extent of the behavior and how um, how uh, I, I was someone who worked in construction and Section 8 housing in high school. So I know as well the environment that you're describing, not as intimately involved with it as you or, uh, or Secretary Carson. Yeah, let me give course. you
1: another very quick example. Go when I was it. running the housing authority, and I used to, to live in the public housing, uh, what I did when I first started, I would select about 5% of the work workers for that week. Let's say I would select 10 of them and then i would go and knock on their doors and i said i understand you called and i just wanted to know if it got fixed and of course at first they would just stare at me was like we've never had anybody come and ask us they did get fixed and one of the things that i noticed was um i would go to my elderly and she, and they would just smile the lady the lady they had seen me grow up since i was mm-hmm. nine years so, old and they would smile and they go honey I'm an old lady. They're not going to fix anything. Oh. So I asked my chairman of the board about this. They're trying to tell you something. So then what I did, I then went and went into some of the homes of some of the, the younger people, let's say 21, 22, 18-year-olds. And everything was spotless. Everything was new. So then the next go round, what I did, I went back to those same 10 people, but this time I brought the maintenance director and his main chief, and I mm. went, and I took them with me, and, and I took them to the elderly, and I said, do you see all of this? I'm giving you seven days to fix everything. And from then on, they got, they got the message, because I knew exactly what was happening there. They were Whoa. selectively yes. cleaning and, and, and putting new things wherever they wanted, and then I understood the war.
0: It's difficult work to be um, a public servant for for uh, for a lot of reasons, but um, I think the easy route, right, is always for some people to just kind of forego some responsibilities in favor for others. So, an even enforcement on a national level is what we're talking about, and that is pretty unique to. To, to this nation. Uh, having lived in Europe for nearly a decade, uh, the roles you described fell loosely to local housing councils across Europe. There was no real singular code of enforcement. There was, real, there was no Anna Maria, uh, to be honest. So, uh, but we have you on the beat, and uh, you're a big one. Let's talk about that because we want to talk about uh, something sure. really national as well. Where we want to we go is, uh, is, is you're taking down Facebook. And right. I'm not going to mince words here, and I don't think I have to with you. But clearly, the way in which they advertise uh, allows for uh, one could argue discriminatory measures. And let's go ahead and allege that here. So let's talk about your, your role in, uh, in, in filing the complaint about Facebook and give us an update with that.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I was the one, uh, actually one of my first actions they said Facebook we've had a lot of meetings with them and they told us they've taken care of this one issue. I go, okay, they took care of this one issue and then they've done what you asked them to do. So I'll be the first one to admit that my very first action was I closed that investigation. And then two days later, I read in one of the newspapers that they went and bought some ads and they were able to put whatever they wanted there. So I had my, um, Special advisor called their general counsel and says, you have one very angry assistant secretary (laughs) who just read this, and she wants to meet with you ASAP because she needs to decide what recommendation she's going to give the secretary about what just happened. So, you know, in a matter of less than a week, I had six law partners here trying to explain themselves. So it sounded good. And I said, all right, I said, I myself, I don't use Facebook, I don't use Twitter, I don't do any of that. And coming back from retirement, the only way I deal with people is one-on-one, or I go and visit them, and that's that, you know, that's the way I've always done things. So, you know, three, four months later, they came back, we fixed it, this is the way it is, we've taken care of all of this. And three days later, I have to read about how somebody has managed to bypass all seven Uh, protected classes. And at that point, needless to say I had a very angry secretary and a very angry assistant secretary. So uh, we filed the invest, reopened the investigation and then uh, filed the secretary initiated complaint. And this was definitely a secretary initiated complaint. Um, He said, I'm going to take care of this. I'm not happy the way it has worked. And it was not right. They should have figured out a long time ago how to take care of this because this is, I mean, you know, the millennials, that's what they do. They, they read Facebook. They do Twitter. That's how they, they operate. Most people nowadays do it by a social media. And someone figured out a way to go and use Facebook and others to try and exclude a lot of the seven protected classes. And mm-hmm. they do it uh, by saying uh, they will display only certain things to men or to women. Or they will uh, not show ads that say assistant talk allowed, mobility scooter, accessibility, or deaf uh, culture allowed. Those things are excluded because that means they do not want those people there. So nowadays, in the old days, you would go and look at a home and say, no, we already booked it. I'm sorry. We already have the tenants. Nowadays, the way they exclude you is by what we call the click of a mouse. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to find it there, um, and they won't show ads to users that categorize as interested in childcare or parenting, or they will say we will accept children of only specific ages. You know, for some reason, and nobody likes teenagers.
0: Yeah, I, I I saw that complaint in New Orleans with a with a landlord who puts them on. I think Craigslist who was like no teens, and right. that, uh, and and that got your attention. So you know. Um, the discrimination is discrimination, and and you know it when you see it. So, why is it so difficult that the, the that the these landlords and just the public in general they don't seem to be getting the message? You know, you 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 just took down Facebook, and here you have someone doing something very similar on Craigslist. Is it, right. is that the tactic you're going to continue? Is to go after? Are we going to see additional social uh, media platforms being? If
1: it's, uh, if it's a violation of fair housing, it's a violation of fair housing.
0: So, so, big whoever is, mm-hmm. so
1: whoever is so whoever is violating fair housing, we will go after them.
0: So uh, and I, I and I know that uh, I guess the the real solution for any landlords out there who are listening to this is just uh, the, the the simplest thing to do, ladies and gentlemen, is to is to follow the Fair Housing Act. <laughs> it's uh, it's, all- not, it's not that difficult. Um, and uh and and understand the role of housing in the nation and it 's not just for personal enrichment it is for the enrichment of our communities across this uh, across across the country and um we're really we're really pleased to hear these stories have been uh a, a, a wake up call i think anna maria and i'm i'm glad you were sharing them. but uh Let's switch over to something a bit more on a positive note. I want to All think right. about when you were uh, when when that moment you became high school valedictorian and uh, and you you saw the way out and you were a success in your eyes. You were a success in your mother's eyes. And knowing what you know now and looking back, what advice would you give to your younger self, just graduating as valedictorian?
1: The same thing I did when I was younger, which was spread your wings go out and learn a lot, make a lot of contacts, learn as much as you can. And then one day, somebody's going to call you as they call me and they said, Anna Maria, we know you don't want to be back home, but you are because you know your mother sacrificed her youth for you. And we protected all of you youngsters. And now we older folks need your help and now we need you to come and help us. So that's what I tell a lot of high school students. Go and spread your wings, make a lot of contact, because one day somebody's gonna call you back home so that you can use everything that you have learned to come and help your own people. Because as the old saying goes, it takes one to know one. Mm -hmm. I know poverty, I know public housing. I have known a lot of success and I was very blessed when I came before my, my freshman professor who has become my mentor uh, and friend, William J. Bennett, secretary of education. And then the other great friend and uh, boss is the deputy secretary, Pam Patno. She was also the assistant secretary for community planning and development. And I was one of her uh, deputies. And she also called me to come back. And I'm very, very blessed to have come across someone like Dr. Carson because he and I come from the same background. Children of only, you know, single parents. We love to read. We love to do things. Of course, I will never be at the stature of the great, incredible, brilliant, genius surgeon <laughs> who operates on people's brains. And uh, and he see, some people don't understand this. I do, having come from housing, public housing. He understands housing, and public housing more than most cabinet hot secretaries. And that's because having been a doctor, he understands, if I have a sick child, and I have cured them, but they have to go back to the same environment where they came from, which made them sick, then it's only a matter of time before they get sick again. And so his attitude is, clean what's not working, fix what's not working, which is in public housing, Section 8 landlords. He understands that part. And a lot of people don't yet have the vision or be, have the ability to see what he has been able to see. You know, back a l- long time ago with Secretary Bennett, he's the one that talked about bilingual education. He talked about vouchers. And people said, Bill, you are crazy talking about vouchers. Nowadays, anytime somebody says vouchers or we're gonna open a charter school, parents from the poor communities will go two to three days before it's opened and put a little pup tent and wait that long so they can get that voucher to get their children to give them the opportunity for a good education. So my mentors, Secretary Bennett, And Secretary Carson had the vision that a lot of people took a decade or two to understand and see their vision. So I'm very blessed to have worked and continue to work with the big guy, Bill Bennett, and now the great sergeant and hot secretary, uh, Secretary Carson.
0: And there you have it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. If you see... Anna Maria's gold shield, then you have done something wrong and uh, expect a bit of law enforcement. Um, Anna Maria, thank you so much for your oh, thank you. It was, uh, you bet. It, it was delightful. Uh, I'm joined with Anna Maria Therese. She is the Secretary of Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity for HUD. She's part of our six questions for HUD executives. Thank you so much for answering that. Oh, thank
1: you.